Welcome to the White Sox Daily Podcast. My name is Ben, and I'm joined by Xavier as always. Uh, It has been uh, another eventful week of White Sox baseball, another new injury. Uh, But, you know, positive things happening as well. So um, I'm just going to kick it over to you, Xavier. Why don't you kind of just fill us in on what's been going on in White Sox world over the last week? Uh, Yes, it has been eventful, but in a negative way. We saw, obviously, an injury with Adam Eats and go down. We saw a lot of losses, but they ended it with a Tim Anderson birthday and a win against the Pittsburgh Pirates before heading home for this upcoming weekend. The White Sox still, I think, are one one of the best teams, even though they're like just pulling guys up. Someone said they're on their eighth or ninth uh, infielder this season, and most teams don't even reach that until maybe the end of the season, if that at all. Some teams are lucky and only have to do their core core four or five. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw I did see a lot of angst after the weekend. Uh, that sweep of the hands of that was the Astros, right? And, um, uh, you know, again, I'm sure it's no secret, and we're going to talk about this later. I, I am a Cubs fan, so sometimes I, I see the this, this Sox Twitterverse a little bit more from afar, and um, definitely a lot of angst. Uh, For me, this is something to be expected. With the amount of injuries that have piled up for the White Sox, there are going to be times when they're just trying to tread water. Um, I don't think that that is any reason to panic, at least from where I'm sitting. Not yet, anyway. Mm-hmm. I think on the Cubs run, they they had a five and fifteen stretch and ended up winning sure. hundred plus games. So I'm, yep. I, I'm the panic button has yet to be hit. I'm worried and cautious, but I'm holding out for now. Yep. Uh, they sit at 44 and 30, four and six in their last 10. And they're heading back home after an ugly sweep against the Astros. They just dominated them, outscored them by, I think, over 20 runs. Uh, there's a few winnable games in there, ones that you wanted to keep close. There's one instance where uh, I think they put in crochet when late in the game over Liam Hendricks, where I would have liked to see Liam Hendricks in this because it was a close game. It was a winnable game. This might've been, I'm blanking on which game, but they never went with Liam Hendricks. They lost the game. And then they use Liam Hendricks in a non-save, non-winning moment on the, the final game of the series. And it's like, if you're going to use him in that series, it would have been nice to see him at least do it in a high, uh, high leverage situation right. that you get, you bring them onto this team for. Right. And then they, so they were, they got swept by the Astros, but they split with the pirates. Uh, the first game they lost that one should, no one was hitting Chile. So like, he wasn't pitching ugly, had an okay start, but uh, he should have saved his no hater, at least give him the best of chances <laughs> in that game. Right. No one was hitting. And they came out and won on Wednesday. Uh, nice, nice, beautiful day in Pittsburgh. I saw a lot of White Sox fans were in attendance for uh, that series. And they came home with a victory for Tim Anderson's birthday. Tim Anderson, I think they said on his last three birthdays, he has an RBI. So that's pretty cool to be like, 
<laughs> I, I hit well on my birthday. You know, this seems to be the way it goes uh, for a lot of players. I just think that's fun. I don't know. There's just a little a little extra excitement that goes with your uh, little extra adrenaline on your birthday. I don't know. Some players, a lot. It seems like there are, uh, especially the games more exciting, players tend to perform well on their birthday for whatever reason that is. Uh, people who have office jobs hope for the day off, but <laughs> right? athletes, athletes get to hit home runs and drive in oh, guys. That's funny. That's funny. Uh, so that was good. And it's nice to end on a high note. And unfortunately, in that last thing, I was hoping Abreu can pull off uh, at least a, a single because he was really struggling this weekend. Same with Tim yeah. Anderson, uh, who, who had a nice game on Wednesday. But Abreu did look okay in that last at bat. I think he brought it to like a 13 pitch uh, mm-hmm. thing in which he ended up get, getting out. But just to see him battle and compete, uh, it looks like he's might be able to turn a corner at home, which the White Sox have done great at home. They're 27 and 12, where they pretty much dominate. Abreu feels uh, says he's always pretty comfortable at home, and hopefully these guys start to turn the tide moving forward. Uh, just looking through these next few games, they have uh, 12 straight, not 12 straight, 13 straight games. Again, starting with the Mariners this weekend in their reopening weekends. Right. Four versus the Twins, three at Tigers, and three at Twins. And it looks to be uh, the Mariners are a pretty solid team. They're two games under 500, but eight and two in the last 10. And it could be a competitive weekend if games are played. It's going to be a rainy weekend moving forward. It sure is. Yeah, um, good young, some really good young talent on that on that Seattle team. Before I talk about the an upcoming series point, I want to briefly on this past weekend, the last three uh, Garrett Crochet outings, he's given up a couple of runs. Uh, I think four or five total, in which his last outing he gave up four and didn't look great. It's a bummer with the situation they have him in the bullpen. I know many want to put him as a st- starter down the minors. But due to like seeing him pitch last year, people the the staff was like, "Oh, let's let's just toss him here," like a Chris Sale thing, where mm-hmm. Chris Sale came in as a reliever and even yeah. closer, and they liked him because he could throw hard and was doing well. But it he's now had the last two outings, a loss, and he blew a game. Yeah. He he gave it four runs and didn't even record an out before they had to pull him. Right. You know, and again, he was the he was the first pitcher. Was he the first player period from his draft class to make it to the the majors? I know I he's the first so. pitcher right away. I think I think he was the first because they drafted him last season yeah. by. I think they held the draft as normal last year, and he was already on the team at the end of August, which is almost unheard of uh, in in modern history of you know, the game. Um, so a, a, any young pitcher, and again, you know, I, I, here's where it's a good time to kind of take a deep breath. A, a, any any young pitcher is going to have, I mean, they call things like sophomore slumps, even though he didn't have a real full season. And some of that is very real because the rest of the league has more game tape on them. Um, and so there's going to be a little bit of back and forth. The guy's going to have to pitch through some adversity, um, you know, see how he bounces back here. Give him a couple of weeks. Uh, I certainly, again, I wouldn't necessarily hit the panic button. And that's something with like Mercedes uh, players are just making adjustments and, and now mm-hmm. it's their time to react to those adjustments. Yep. We saw last year with uh, 
Luis Robert and yep. several players previous to that, where uh, you might've seen him be super hot out the gate and those guys make those adjustments. And now you're struggling and now it's up to you to see how do you make the change? And uh, at least in the first month when Robert was playing, he, he made those changes and he, he figured out how to lay back, not be swinging at balls that are clearly way out of the zone. Yep. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite aspects of Major League Baseball is the 162-game season. And sure, we could, you know, shorten it by a week or two, but whatever. Uh, the, this long form that you don't see in, in, in maybe some other sports, that allows you to ride some of these slumps out. And it, it does even out at the end for a lot of these guys. And uh, yeah, so again... It, it's easy in the microcosm of the excitement around a team to see a sweep and go, oh, no, especially with all the injuries. Is this the moment that the wheels finally come off this team? Uh, you know, maybe maybe just taking a deep breath and, and enjoying it and, and knowing the slumps are going to happen. Uh, it might be a little easier on some people's blood pressure this year. <laughs> Definitely. So uh, let's hope rain is happening here in the Charlotte area this weekend. Hopefully it. It waits or just strictly does in the morning so we can get these games in because uh, fans are excited and reopening weekend full capacity. Yeah. Many people are looking to go uh, Mariners this weekend, four games and Mariners struggle on the road. So maybe the White Sox can pull ahead and get a couple wins here. And then they face two really bad teams, which they do well against. It could really use a boost after and that's a great stretch. Right. Uh, next, I was hoping to, uh, I talked last week about uh, how I, I want to do more discussions around minor league baseball and just highlight a couple guys, not go too much uh, into depth, at least for the first few weeks. Um, and this week, uh, our four, I have three players I want to talk about briefly. Our first is Jake Berger. Jake Berger is a guy who I got to know over the last year and who's been a great story, a fun guy who's been absolutely killing it. He's hitting 295. He's slugging 582 with nine home runs, 20 RBI, 29 RBIs, 13 doubles, and 36 games. And now they're uh, trying to test the water, seeing where else he can play, third base, second, maybe a little outfield. Just get him comfortable and see what he can do in those positions, make him a little more valuable, whether it's, to the current in-house teams or maybe as a trade piece. I really love, as, as an aside, I really love this era of baseball where there is a high emphasis with prospects to uh, help them, those who can do it, develop defensive versatility. I, I love guys... I love this mindset of, okay, we know you are a primary third baseman, but man, you're going to get more ABs if you can play some second base, if you can play the corner outfield. And I, I just think that is a great developmental tool. Especially in a league where like, if you're not a star, you're, it's, it's hard to make an argument for these players to play every day. So these guys that right. aren't going to be a backup, especially Berger, who it looks like the White Sox are set at third and for space right now. So where else can you play? How are you going to get yourself minutes? And it looks like the White Sox uh, coaches and their staff want to give them opportunities to get at bat. So they're finding other areas where they can play. So they are on the lineups more often. 
and what it, what that does for a team. I mean, as the White Sox are seeing right now, when you get multiple injuries start to stack up, when you can start shuffling guys around and, and keeping positions filled uh, without. I mean, it just seemed like back in the day. Okay, your second baseman goes down. All right, I'm going to have to go down and and take my. Um, you know, my guy who's hitting below the Mendoza line and make him play second base because I got to have a warm body at that position. Nowadays, guys are going, well, wait, what do I have an impact bat in the minors who could fill in? And yeah, maybe he's not a great second baseman, but he'll hold it down. And that gets me a better bat in the lineup. I, I really like that approach. Another guy on who's his teammate who's been pretty playing pretty well is Tim Beckman, a former top pick from the Rays. Mm-hmm who's playing really well with Charlotte Knights. Uh, just this month, he has a 1.372 OPS, eight homers, 20 RBIs, and just 13 games. That'll he's, actually, <laughs> he's actually, I think, had one or two uh, multi-homer games, which it's nice. And I was looking at, we're talking about guys who are playing all over the place. He's been the DH. He's been at first, second, shortstop, and third base. All, all multiple times, so not just once. Yeah. And then last last person I want to highlight this week is everyone's been wondering, uh, right? I I haven't fully found out how to pronounce his name, so hopefully there's more audio files out there by the by next week so I can get this down and corrected, but I'm going to go with Yolki Suspedes. He's the half-brother of Jonas, and he, everyone was wondering when he would finally join the White Sox, where would he be? Uh, how is he going to do? He's played a few games with the Winston-Salem Dash, and he's two for 13, five runs, and two walks, and five strikeouts. So he's getting on base, finding ways to get on base. I think he even was hit by a pitch. Uh, but not too many hits quite yet. We'll see how he plays out. A guy who being talked about a lot, at least. I don't know if he's going to be the best of the best in, in the system, but to go make that jump straight to the Winston-Salem Dash, I think is a yeah. pretty big deal instead of like a summer league or just Arizona training. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've, I've seen his name bandied about a lot. I think there's a lot of excitement around him. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I love this new segment and, and he's going to, every week we're going to continue, uh, Xavier does a great job of kind of tracking down the storylines going in the, the prospect pipeline. Um, it's a fun story because right now the White Sox are in a, I think an incredibly well, uh, well put together organization. Uh, it was a rebuild done the right way, um, retooling quality trades, uh, some really good development. And so there is a lot of excitement in the in the fandom. We've talked about this the last couple of weeks uh, about not only what's happening at the major league level, but what's happening at the minor league level. So this inevitably leads us to. I think the discussion that we're going to have today that I'm excited to have today. So um, I, w- I opened my Bleacher Report uh, app this evening. As I'm kind of getting my final prep notes for the podcast together, and I see a tweet from at Chai Sox fan Mike, or just Mike as he is known on Twitter a lot, um, who is a kind of a pretty active voice in the White Sox community. Let me read this tweet, and then I'll kind of segue into what I was seeing in the um, in the thread. So. The tweet reads this. There isn't a single prospect in the White Sox farm system that I consider untouchable. 
Some people like to hoard prospects. I'm not one of those people. I want to see this team win the World Series. If trading prospects helps make that a reality, then I'm all for it. So his prospect, his mindset is, hey, nobody's untouchable. Let's trade whoever we got to trade to put us over the top. Now, as one might expect, reading through uh, this thread, there's at this moment uh, quite 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 a few um, responses, uh, more than a handful, and it varies wildly on each side of the equation. Some are like, "Yeah, man, I totally get it. Let's uh, let, let's let's move a guy." Um, some guys are like, "Are you kidding me? Uh, do not trade X guy, X guy. I don't." And this is one thing I'm seeing a lot. I don't want to end up like the Cubs. Okay, so caveat, as I've already mentioned, I'm a Cubs fan. We know this. Um, So I may have a perspective that some White Sox fans do not because obviously it's well documented that a lot of White Sox fans are not a big fan of the Cubs or the Cubs fans. So uh, if you'll indulge me for a moment, um, this mindset is that I don't want to end up like the Cubs. And this wasn't one guy saying this or one one person saying this. There's several comments along this line. Um, and I definitely think that there is some validity to this. The White Sox have benefited from a very bad trade from the Cubs. Obviously, Elo Jimenez and Dylan Cease for Quintana did not work out well for the Cubs and is working out brilliantly for the White Sox. Um, and then there's a well-documented trade that the Cubs made, uh, trading Torres to the, you know, uh, their top prospect at that time, middle infield prospect for Earl just Chapman, which was a rental. So I, I want to throw this out there. Okay. The Cubs win the world series in 2016. They were in the NLCS in two, 2015, 2016, 2017. So they were knocking on the door of the World Series all three years. Um, they were in the playoffs again in 2018. They uh, fell out in 2019. Uh, they were in contention until the last couple of weeks of the season. Uh, and then in the, in the uh, COVID-shortened season, they also made the playoffs in 2020. They won their division, in fact. Uh, and then this season, they are currently, uh, if not in first place at the time of the podcast, right on the cusp of it. Um, and I think what, what some fans would point is that, yes, at the end of the season, it's well documented that many of the Cubs stars are uh, going to hit the free agent market and many, if not all of them, are going to leave. So my question is to you, Xavier, is there if if the White Sox were to trade, I don't know, uh, na- name your one or two prospects, top prospects for X player or players that puts them over the top and they win the World Series this season. They are in the ALCS for the next two seasons. The playoffs after that, miss a year, playoffs again. If if that were to happen, and then these players they trade go on to be stars, if not superstars, would you say it was worth it as a White Sox fan to have won the World Series, to have been on the cusp of the World Series? No, you didn't win multiple World Series, but you had the opportunity to win the World Series as a franchise. Um, and we're one of the best teams in your league for a stretch of six years. Is it worth it to give up those guys? So some of the prospects or current roster players, they say are like Madrigal, Crochet, uh, Kopech even, and then Vaughn, Kelly, yep. uh, some Sounds of the other guys. And 
I think it's a case by case person. It depends on who they're bringing in, but I've been on the side that I think they do have to make a move. Uh, there's just too much going on and too many injuries where they just can't count on the production of uh, these deep uh, roster players. <laughs> yeah. Jake Lamb uh, and Billy Hamilton. And it's hard for people to say, oh, we we shouldn't w- get be worried. If, like we, we shouldn't worry that they're going to struggle in the future. I, th- I think – at least I think some people get mad, but I'll take one world series and all those playoff appearances. Cause at least we're still a contending team and we have a world series in our bag. The white Sox are a hundred. This is their 121st season. Uh, they've only made the postseason 10 times, right. kind of embarrassing. So, and they've never really been a team that's been in multiple years in a row. So I, I feel People should want this. I don't know what the White Sox plan to do money-wise in the future. They're going to have to pay some guys, and they they should bring some guys in. But knowing how they haven't been spending, you kind of think they might not spend. And that's a worry. So if a trade now can help get a World Series under their belts, why not? Uh, I still think that's bonkers. Only 10 times in 121 seasons. That's embarrassing, I think. You know, as much as most, it seems like, Sox fans hate the Cubs and as many Cubs fans hate the Sox, it is remarkable how similar the two teams are when you just look at success over a century um, and, and gaps between World Series wins and things like that. Have the White Sox been the better franchise from, you know, probably – at least the '90s on, absolutely. You know, uh, the '90s were had some. It was a great era for the White Sox. There, there have been. I, I, you know, I do think the White Sox have been a better franchise in recent history. But over, if you look at the grand scheme of things, they've been very similar. So I do think the White Sox are in a very similar place the Cubs were in 2015. Let's look at. But the, for the sake of this argument, I want to. I want to dissect a couple of moves the Cubs made because I think these are the ones that White Sox fans are saying, "No, I don't want to make that mistake." So let's look at the first big move the Cubs made to put them over the top. They gave up their top infield, their top prospect overall, uh, and I'm going to butcher his name. Is it Glaber? I've never gotten it right. Um, Torres. Um, I don't know how you pronounce his name. I apologize. Um, he was their absolute top prospect in their organization. Um, but that was a position of strength for them. They had at the time, and, and many fans will forget this, but Addison Russell was the one of their top prospects and believed to be their next superstar. He was already a shortstop. Javi Baez was the fu- the second baseman of the future at that time. So they said, all right, we don't have a place to play. And, and Bryant was a third. So we don't have a place to play Torres. So let's move him for the closer, knowing we're only going to get him for six months, but we only needed a closer to win the World Series. And their mindset, well, it turns out uh, Chapman was a big part of the reason they won the World Series that season. So in that sense, would the White Sox take a positional a positionally blocked player. So we mentioned Berger earlier. Now if they if they do find room for him at say second base or something as a fill in, then he's not technically blocked. But right now he's he's a third baseman by trade, if I'm not correct, right? 
Yes. And though I don't think he was as highly ranked as Torres at the time, but he is a third base prospect who other teams I think would be interested in. He is blocked by Moncada. Moncada is going to be the third baseman of the now and of the future, correct? So, and with Vaughn, the first baseman probably of the future, right? Um, it would make sense then that Berger is probably expendable if you can get a player that puts them from a playoff contender to a World Series contender. Because I think there is a difference. Ever since the league started adding wild card teams, just because you're a playoff contender does not mean you're a World Series contender. Do you kind of agree with me on that one? Yeah. I mean, technically anybody could win the World Series, but I think there's sometimes is a gap between that. So first of all, so let's make that comparison. And then let's look at the trade that blew up for the Cubs real quick. Uh, Absolutely horrible trade in in hindsight. And that would be Dylan Cease and Eloy Jimenez. Eloy Jimenez was blocked at all three outfield positions because Kyle Schwarber was what every – most everybody believed was a major prospect of the future for the Cubs. He was that he was a player that teams were offering ma- big names for uh, for the Cubs. So they they were excited about him in left field, and everybody thought Jason Hayward was going to earn his contract. So they did. The, the National League didn't have the DH, so it made sense in their minds at the time to say, "Well, Jimenez doesn't have a place to play, so we're going to move him for a pitcher that's going to put us over the top." They really thought Quintana with his track record, and let's be honest, at the time. He had a really nice track record, not elite, but a quality pitcher. So again, the Cubs dealt from a, 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 a position of depth where they were positionally blocked and and tried to acquire, acquire a player that they thought was the guy who was going to go from playoff to World Series contender. It did not work. And Jimenez, thankfully for Sox fans, is going to be a star for years to come. I have no doubts about that. And I'm excited for Sox fans. Um, but again, they made the move that said this will put us over the top. Um, it didn't in that case. It did the first time, but Quintana won a lot of games for him. So here, here's another comment, uh, and I want to let you talk for a while here. I'm sorry. I'm kind of ho- hogging things like I did last week. Um, one comment, and I'm, I'm not going to be able to find it right now, but one, one comment said, listen, the untouchable guys are already on the roster, on the big league roster. The untouchable guys are Moncada, in his mind, Madrigal. He mentioned. Um, Obviously, Robert, uh, and then he might have met, he might have Crochet and Kopech on on his untouchables as well. But he said those guys are the untouchables. Anybody else is uh, they're not can't miss prospects. There's some really exciting prospects, but are they as can't miss as Robert was? Probably not. So at this point, do you hang on to the might miss prospect, or do you trade him? Let's say I don't know if you're on the Joey Gallo. Um, uh, bandwagon, but let's say you are, as some of the fans are. If you could move, say, Cespedes and somebody for Gallo, who is already established his value at major major league level, is it worth it? Because you know what you're getting out of this guy, and you have no idea what, if you're ever going to get anything out of Cespedes. Seems like you will, but you don't know. And right now, the window is now. And as the Cubs have proved, just because your core is awesome today doesn't mean they're going to be awesome in three years. I think Moncada is going to be dominating at third base for years to come. I think Robert and Jimenez are going to be big bats in this in this game. But anybody who looked at the 2016 Cubs said, oh, man, Addison Russell is going to be the best shortstop in baseball in two years. A lot of guys were saying that. Um, 
you know, Chris Bryant's going to be a superstar. He he won the MVP. This guy's not going to stop. Well, they all regressed to some level. And Addison Russell isn't even even in major or minor league baseball anymore. So you can't assume that just because they're really highly touted now it's going to happen so you got to go with what you got today if they're performing well today i think you do whatever you can to win a world series yeah i agree this team going into this season they they knew they were contenders robert i think was the last big like him and magical were the last big can't miss prospects i would say in the the organization they still have a solid farm system i think uh many would say but no guys that are to those same levels where it's like you're overly excited for it. You know, they're, they're going to ha- shine in their own ways, but no one that I feel they should worry about losing. You already lo- lose a ton of guys. Uh, Fernando Tatis was probably at the time one of those guys who, and that's the thing, people go to him, like think him when they're like, we can't trade the farm system. Look at what happened then. And we lost out then, but we don't, it's that what if that one didn't work out, but he was not a can't miss prospect. So he was not, he's an example. He's a great example of, you know what? You don't even know when you, who your can't miss prospects are going to be. Sometimes it could be uh, a Fernando Tatsis or a Jared Mitchell or a Courtney Hawkins. So Sometimes you just have to, I think the White Sox just need to be bold, uh, try to get feels from all the teams, see who they're getting rid of, uh, see who they can fill. I think our real big uh, moves that need to be made are someone for the bullpen. And then uh, I, I don't think this in order, it could be definitely both need to be made, not neither or, but one could be made first or second. Right. Uh, bullpen help. And an infielder, uh, because they're on their ninth infielder already. And not all these guys are everyday guys. I think they need to find another person who they can stick in there on a regular basis, who is a guy who has a workload and can produce a lot. I know they're throwing out names like Escobar, Peralta's an outfielder, even uh, Frazier, who we just saw hit a home run against us this past week. Uh, hopefully they luck out and can find a guy who there's a little bit of control where they have him for a season or two and a guy that can help them compete for a few more years. Yeah. I think, I think we're, you, 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 we could talk like, I think there's a couple levels of potential acquisitions here. I think a Todd Frazier is gettable. I think an Escobar is gettable for a package that a package that is not, those top guys, you know, um, that, and I think those are moves they definitely need to make. And I, I really want to see, I, I really want to see Frazier. That's my guy. Um, but I, I really want to see them get, get an infielder. But I think then there's the next level where who's like the true impact bat, you know? Uh, and, and I, I read in this, uh, in this thread, somebody's like, well, there's just not that many guys gettable on the trade market. I would disagree with that strongly. Maybe not Today, but I think by the deadline, with the uncertainty of the fi- uh, of the future finances in baseball, I think there are going to be some teams that are well out of contention that are willing to part with um, some impact players. I, I really do. I think there's going to be some gettable guys out there that are going to surprise some people. Um, 
You know, and it's funny. So White Sox fans in this thread are saying, I don't want to end up like the Cubs because they traded guys they shouldn't have. It's funny. If I were to get, if I were to start a thread among Cubs fans that if I would have had time before the podcast, I actually would have done this. I think the conversation among Cubs fans is actually the opposite. It's we hung on to guys too long. <laughs> you know, when um, more often than not, you're going to have keeper's remorse more than you're going to have seller's remorse. The, the the true seller's remorse are typically the guys nobody saw coming, like Fernando Tatis. Nobody thought he was going to be a superstar. I think the White, the white Sox just need to be bold. Uh, on, on the fan side, uh, there's a lot of recency bias where they are worried about losing out, seeing success from one of these prospects on their favorite team, the White Sox. But this is, if you look at the history of baseball, this happens all the time where guys oh, yeah. get traded early in their careers and end up Hall of Famers. on a different team. Tons of Hall of Famers. I think you just gotta the fans just gotta put that in the back of their mind and just let let the team work things out and bring us a World Series title. However it comes, however it comes. They, 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 obviously, I said. 10, 10 seasons in the playoffs, uh, whatever move they can make to make this at least for a few years, the uh, contending team and then hopefully a World Series winner. Now that should be more than enough, at least to me, I, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there are literally Hall of Famers and I, I, I've got to go ahead and guess there's probably Hall of Famers that have played for the White Sox that started their career in another organization. I mean, that's just, that's a part of the game of it. It's professional sports in general. I mean, that that's going to happen. Um, what I want to know from you, who is untouchable? And I'm talking major league roster, minor league roster for you, because I think there should be untouchables. Somebody, somebody posted the thread. Well, in my opinion, there's nobody that's untouchable. Okay. Yeah. If you could trade magical for Mike trout, fine, but whatever in, in, in the world of reality, <laughs> um, you know, Shohei Otani. Well, sure, I'll trade X for Shohei. Well, right, but he's not available. Yeah, so. I've definitely seen that. That I forget who posted that, and I saw the same thing where they're like, "No, it should be untouchable." But those trades just don't happen. No. Uh, I'm assuming like Ancada, you don't trade him. Jimenez, Roberts, um, Anderson probably. I, I saw a lot of Andersons here. He's just a Chicago guy. There, yeah. he's almost like the face of the team. He is. He uh, is for sure. Of the like looking at the young people, um, I want to say Vaughn and Madrigal, but there it's like it depends on the piece. I know people are a little more willing to get rid of either of those. I don't. Want, I have a tough time wanting to get rid of at least the major league level guys. I, I think there's a, I think there's a strong case for uh, Vaughn being an untouchable simply because of Abreu's age. I think he's going to be an impact bat for years to come, but we've, we've even talked about this on this podcast, how shocked we are at his elevated level of defense right now. Uh, age catches up with everybody. Um, he's 36, right? If I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Um, so, I think if Vaughn continues to be what they think Vaughn's going to be, um, your Sox fans are going to be real happy to have him as their first baseman of the future. Even And that allows, of course, um, Abreu to age gracefully in uh, the DH position, that kind of thing. Magical's an interesting name. Uh, a contact first, f- pretty good defensive second baseman, but those aren't unheard of in Major League Baseball. Uh, I, I mean, I, I'm totally yeah, talking why, off my head. That's why it was like Vaughn. 
if you want to keep Vaughn or Magical, I feel people would lean towards Vaughn with Abreu being older and Vaughn being able to slide into first, play DH a little bit. Uh, Magical, even though he's there's signs of him being like a long-term successful hitter, uh, second, like an infielder type guy seems pretty somewhat easier to find available. The low power um, high contact second baseman uh, is like uh, it's like a staple of Major League Baseball. And I feel like I look around the game and you can find a nice list of those guys. And I'm not saying that Madrigal is not going to be a special player. He probably is going to be. But if you get X and X impact player and you have to include Madrigal, I'm, I'm, all I'm saying is he's probably not impossible to replace uh, a shortstop like Anderson is a third baseman like Moncada. Those are the guys that are generational and they're really hard to replace. You, you, you spend your, the right, you, you spend front offices, spend billions of dollars trying to figure out how to find that guy. So those are the hard ones, right? Previous episode, I went down the list of how long it took the White Sox to find someone to be a third baseman. And Moncada's got, you, you can't after, after I might have to read the list for anyone who thinks Moncada needs to be traded because, (laughs) There was a guy on Twitter who was like, yeah, this guy just needs to be this. Per- they called him a pretty boy, but he needs to be <laughs> traded. I was like, are we watching oh, the same White Sox? So this guy up until like he had like a, s- a couple game stretch where he wasn't hitting well, but mostly he's been at least for a pretty coming into June. He was an MVP candidate. Uh, so I don't know what like, games that like 25 years old or something like that. I mean, yeah, he's so, young still guy. really young. Um, oh, it's t- stupid. This trade would never happen. Uh, would you take Moncada for Otani? Oh, that you know that those these are the what ifs, what ifs. It's tough. Uh, sometimes it's like, man, if those trades get presented, like you wonder, it would never happen. Like, never happen. It, it would be pretty interesting to sit sit in like a winter meeting and see like <laughs> how bold some of these GMs and agents get with teams and like the contracts and trades they write up and see, I, I, now I wonder like, what's the most insane trade? Like, yeah, I want to know. I want to know. Has somebody ever been like, Hey, what? Hey, tell you what, I'll give you a Moncada for trout. Straight like, up. Not even like years later, looking at that trade, yeah. like current moment trade. Yeah. Where, like, yeah, well, whatever. We'll just take this. So I really want to know, has anybody ever called up the angels and been like, tell you what, uh, any guy on my roster for Otani. <laughs> You know, just as a kind of a joke. Uh, we'll package them up. We'll give you this guy. <laughs> One guy. Uh, man, Otani is uh, a, he's a video game right now. He's a lot right. of fun to watch. Um, yeah, okay. So yeah, so we said we said Moncada, we said Anderson, uh, Jimenez, Robert for sure. Um, I think you could probably get into the pitching staff. J- uh, part of it because because value. I mean, Lance Lynn's not going anywhere. Um, I think despite some Sox fans who seem to want to turn on him really fast, Giolito is a phenomenal pitcher. I would not yeah, even consider they, that. They resign him. Um, now, here's an interesting case in point. Uh, based on how he's pitching right now, uh, let's say let's say Kopech is, is on the verge. Let's say you think, all right, maybe we can slip him into the rotation this year. Do you move a Carlos Rod- Rodon? Uh, I get his name wrong every week. Rodon. Rodon, yeah. Would you move a Rodon? I mean, a total hypothetical, but would you say, hey, Rodon's touchable? Uh, So he's, he's, I think, on a one-year contract. It's hard. Him being our best. 
I don't know if you, you make a move with, with him for now. You kind of got to ride with him for the season. I don't know if they'll re-sign him for next year. Uh, I, I, so I think in this setting, he's untouchable. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree. It's an interesting. Year, like, past seasons, I don't think he was. But well, yeah, they, D, they DFA'd him. Yeah. I mean, or they they non-tendered him. Um, he uh, interesting. I mean, I think a lot of a lot of I, I haven't I don't have a good pulse on the the White Sox fandom, but I've seen uh, around the league people seemed almost a foregone conclusion. They think that because he was non-tendered, because of how things were, if he keeps up this level of success, it's a foregone conclusion that he's leaving in free agency, and the White Sox won't be able to match what everybody offers. In the game of baseball, nothing's a foregone conclusion. But if the Sox front office really does feel like he is a quote unquote one year rental at this point. Um, and you could move him for again, name that impact player in a package that includes burger or uh sheets or something. Do you include Rodon? <laughs> I, I can't really say, uh, I guess, it, but it's gotta be a pretty big because right now I feel just the way this season's going, most he has been one of the better players, so it's hard to lose a guy. Who's and looking around the league, well. as, as I mentioned earlier, looking around the league and, and how many teams are dying for that impact arm. Since that is a strength of the White Sox, roll with it. Don't don't sacrifice that at all. Um, that's going to give you an, a huge edge in October. All right, the last two names I, I, I want to hear your opinion on would be, uh, we've already mentioned them, but Kopech and Crochet. Those would be two guys that I think other front offices would open up their discussions with them. That would open a lot of doors, I think. Say one of those players plus a burger or a sheets um, or somebody further down the line, I think, could could get you anybody that's available just about. Would you do it? There's definitely people who are a little more smarter in this situation than myself, but either or you can go with down the line. Both people who probably throw hard could easily be put in the bullpen, but they are long-term should be starters. So in the future, we're going to need starters. So yeah. it depends on, I feel Kopech's closer to MLB as a regular. So maybe he'll slide in and crochet becomes that expendable piece. And if they're find a team to get one of the, the things they need, maybe they can find a way him packed with another guy, bring in pitching or a solid hitter with a little bit of control uh, for the next year or two. Yeah, I would do it. That's especially, key. especially if it allows Crochet to find his way to be a starting pitcher, because I think that's what he's ultimately wants to do and feels best at. And I know a lot of the guys who followed his career in college and when the Sox drafted him, that's what they thought he would be. But with I think the so will be. he didn't work, that's just how they brought him up. Yeah, I mean, assuming they hang on to them, I, I definitely could see both Kopech and Crochet in the Sox rotation for years to come. Um, so, anyway, I think that was a fun discussion. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's all I got for today. You got anything else? That, that was it. A lot, a, lot, a, a lot going on around the White Sox. A lot of questions to be answered. And we're going to be headed into July this upcoming week with uh, still one of the hotter baseball teams in the league. And it begins this weekend. I'm going to wrap it up right here. We got three games in the reopening weekend versus the Mariners. Let's 
let's all hope and pray that there's no rain as the forecast is showing. But after that, we got a couple of series against the, the Tigers and Twins, which those teams are 10 and 12 games back. If we can win those, they can be done for the season, like completely, like no yep. chance of catching up. Yep. And I think that's what the White Sox need. So let's get some wins. Let's hope for a better week. And uh, that will do it. Go White Sox. Thank you for listening to the White Sox Daily Podcast. And have a good day.